Pelotero Pickle, episode 44. We got some great topics for you. We're talking about Yohan Mikado's crazy batting average ball in play. Garrett Cole's inability to answer questions. Pete Alonzo discussing baseball manipulation. And multi-sport athletes. Is it really that important for your college recruiting process? Let's find out. Pelotero Pickle, episode 44. I'm Bobby Tewksbury. Joining me is Chris Colabello. Just a quick reminder, we have a mailbag. Send us your requests. It is pickle at pelotero.com. Pickle at pelotero.com. Chris, how is your hair doing today? Very ninja. Samurai. I've been called a samurai twice today. Also a sumo wrestler. That was and all the same person that said that. No, two different people. Well, the one person called you a sumo and samurai. Who was the other person? Italian person. My parents just got to Italy. They're there. I saw that your mom is in Bologna. That's nice. Yeah, people have asked me how to pronounce that word, too. They're like, is it Bologna? And I was like, no. Bologna? No, No, it's not Bologna. (laughs) Going out of the snow. Uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall was on the other day. I, so for years, Hitch has been my go-to, like if, if, if Hitch is on TV, I'm going to stop and watch the whole movie, uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall's now in that category, uh, crazy rich Asians, probably my favorite movie now. I, I watched on like seven straight flights. It was on the other day. It was a must watch. Interesting. It's a great movie. All uh, yeah. Good job. I'm proud Pretty that proud. forgetting Sarah Marshall's in your go-tos. Yeah. That's a good one. Big rom-com guy. Well, I feel like topic number one gives you good, good rant opportunity. So let's jump right into it. Yoan Mankata has a historically high batting average in balls in play. So to set the table really quickly, league-wide average for batting average balls in play is right around 300 every year. Mankata is like 420 right now, something in that ballpark. And when that article was written, it was very high. What, what was it at exactly when the article? 419. So we've talked about this specifically with you in the past, because in 2015, you were accused of being a high BABIP guy. Among other things. Well, 2015, you were good. After that, kind of questionable. But 2015, you're okay. Uh, 419 BABIP is pretty high. Uh, If he finishes, it would be the fourth highest in the history of the world. Babe Ruth in uh, 1923 was higher at 423. Rogers Hornsby and George Sisler both hit a 422 BABIP in a 1924 and 1922, respectively. I mean, these are very old numbers. Like, did they even have accurate metrics for that? But uh, yeah, thoughts on BABIP. And one thing that you've always said in the past is guys who hit good, hit good. So why is it surprising? Like guys that hit with a high line drive percentage or hit the ball hard consistently have a higher batting average of balls in play. Yeah. I mean, I would venture to say if we went across the best players in the history of the game and we went across the best out batting averages, like they're going to be trending toward the highest bubbits. Um, I, I mean, batting average on balls in play is a, to me an accurate representation of your ability to get hits. And that is when you hit the ball, obviously like, Look, I, I think this is the, the, the stat, and I'm going to take a little bit different angle at it today. This is probably the stat that should 
help people understand how important it is to not strike out versus strike out and where that, that where that towing that line is, right? Because if you're going to make weak contact to put a ball in play with two strikes or, uh, you know, just swing at stuff so that you don't strike out and your batting average on balls in play suffers because of it, then honestly, you should probably strike out more. To, like, so I, I think there's a line that needs to be towed where, and I think guys that like hit their peaks, when you hit 400 on balls in play, 410, 420, I think, that's probably the peak, right? So is he optimizing? Is he uh, doing anything different? Certainly there's luck involved. There's no question about that. But I think the ability to counteract what the other team's doing to you, both from a pitching pitching standpoint and from a defensive standpoint, matter. They matter. And if they didn't matter, then, well, you, you know, we would just play with no fielders and say, okay, that should have been an outer, that should have been a hit, or, you know, let's see who can hit it harder, right? Like, I mean, ultimately – the, the game's always been about counteracting what the defense was doing and what the pitchers were doing. So I think I, to me, batting average on balls in play, of course, yes, there's a luck factor where when you're hitting the ball hard across the field, and I'm just going to repeat that across the field, line to line. Um, if your batting average on balls in play is low, then I think you're probably getting unlucky. Whereas guys that are hitting pull side grounders really hard uh, over and over again, I don't think they're getting unlucky. I think they're, uh, they're feeding into what the defense is having them do. Yeah, batting out. So when I do a review on a player, I always check to see what their batting average of balls play are. Then I look at hard hit average versus medium hit versus soft hit. Then I look at pull percentage, center, middle percentage, oppo percentage. So I, I try to get a, a full story just for some context here. Uh, low batting average balls in play with guys that qualify. Suarez with Cincinnati. He's got 14 homers. Batting average of ball in play is 178. He's hitting 171 in the season. Home runs don't count for, for Babbitt because the ball is not technically in play. Jackie Bradley Jr., 209 at bats. He's hitting 153, 198 batting average balls in play. Uh, not great. Kevin Newman from Pittsburgh, batting average of ball in play, 214. Michael Franco, 216. And then uh, Freddie Freeman is, is pretty low here. He's hitting 237 on balls in play. So that's a guy that would be more of like an unlucky, have to look into the numbers type guy because Freddie Freeman's a stud. So if he's not hitting 300, there's probably good reasons why. Um, but Mankata is, he, I, I pulled up his charts. He's, he uses the whole field. Um, I didn't look into his, uh, you know, batted ball, like hard hit rates and stuff like that. But it's like with the shift, it helps you hit the ball. Like you should hit to where the ball guys aren't standing. If you can, if they give you a hit, I was watching the, uh, the Texas South Florida game last night and the three hitter for Texas, Zubia guy, mm -hmm. he came out to bat and the second baseman was, he wasn't even like up the middle. He was like on the shortstop side pretty significantly for the three hitter in a college game. I'm like, right field is, I mean, wide open. It was one of the most aggressive shifts I've ever seen. And it's a college player. Like, hey, just kind of like – and then they pitched him away the whole at-bat. <laughs> like, they're just giving you a hit. Um, so some of these numbers that we see with the, uh, you know, the low batting averages and all the stuff that everybody keeps talking about, um, it's – you know, there's there's hits out there, especially if, if you're a shiftable guy. And if you're not a shiftable guy, there's going to be open – there's going to be holes because you're good at hitting the ball over the field and they have to spread out. So uh, – 
is Moncada lucky if he's done it multiple times and his career batting average of all the play is very high, then he's probably just a really good hitter. I I just think it's, I think it's so asinine to try to knock a guy down because he's hitting the ball where they're not catching it. And I, I guarantee you, again, if we go look at a list, like the list that Moncada's on in the article that we're referencing, guys like Rogers Hornsby, uh, Rod Carew, Babe Ruth. I, I mean, <laughs> those guys are really good. Um, the, the, the fact of the matter is that as time has gone on, right, defensive analytics have caused people to play in different spots. It makes complete sense that when Babe Ruth was playing, they were playing him straight up. Or maybe the center fielder. Remember when we were kids, we would go, hey, this guy's going to pull the ball. Remember, he'd yell, lefty or lefty. And everybody would turn like as if nobody knew that the hitter was actually left-handed. And you would just shift to the right a little bit. Um, That has become an art, right? Like, that's an art in baseball now. So people are saying offense is down and things like that. I just don't think the game is counteracting. Like, offense is not counteracting pitching. I guess the way it used to, because when you used, when you were able to use your naked eye to, to make decisions, guys like Rod Carew made decisions. I've talked to Rodney, like he made decisions based on what the defense was doing because the objective was to get hits, right? The objective was to get hits, figure out a way to get on base. And again, I think record you just called Rod Carew Rodney. Yes. Nice. That was awesome. That's like a hard name drop. (laughs) It's a hard name, brother. It's like, uh, yeah, hey, you know, I call him this. Um, so, and anyway, you took me off my train of thought. But the point is, we're just doing a worse job. We're doing a worse job of counteracting what defense is doing because of this this implication that damage needs to be done and that everybody can do it. I still, like, it's funny. You see, I saw young hitters for a long time that they look at the college game, right? Look at the college game. There's so many more homers being hit in college. That's 10 years ago. They were talking about how nobody could leave in Omaha. Nobody could go deep in Omaha. And now all of a sudden teams have seven to 10, 10 plus homer guys. Like the change in the bats was like such a huge deal. And now it's not because players are learning to do damage at a younger age. Now with that, they're sacrificing their ability to hit a little bit. And this is one of the things I said to one of our college guys a little while ago was there's a line between hit and hit hard, right? Like hit it and hit it hard and far. There's, there's like a, it's a sliding scale, right? And the, the closer you get to hit it far and hit it hard in terms of a one swing output, the more you're sacrificing your ability to make sure that you actually hit the ball. Would you agree with that statement? Is that fair? Yeah. I've been looking cause I got I'm doing the, uh, the sport techie thing. And one of the, one of the thoughts I was, I was working through over the weekend was the concept of capacity versus capability versus performance and this whole like sliding scale thing. So capacity is like what you're capable of doing. Like this is your ceiling, basically. Optimal outcome, like straight yeah. optimal outcome. And I think that's what most baseball training and a lot of decisions are being made now based on capacity. Capability is like, can you actually do it in a controlled environment? And then performance is, did you do it? in the game when it matters. And I think a lot of this stuff, you know, so much of this has shifted around like the, the small sample size, the attacking batting average of balls in play. It's the shift away from what did you do in the past to what are you going to do in the future in terms of, of, of rating players, paying players, evaluating players. 
a guy that has high batting average balls in play, they're looking at, oh, well, he's going to regress. That's not sustainable. You can't pay this guy. As opposed to he's really good. Maybe he's going to keep going. Like he's earned, he's earned his performance. So it's, it's, it's funny where you're like capacity, capability, performance, and then you're just throwing luck in there just for, for measure, you know, just to, for argument's sake. Um, when you look at the numbers, it, you are going to trend like, uh, like Castellanos right now for the, for the Reds, 418 BABIP, 361 batting average. Mankato's got a, is down to 400 with a 280 average. Then you look at uh, Vlad Jr. batting average on balls in play is 344, and his batting average is 344. Like so the numbers here are they're so out of whack. He's the first guy on the list where it's even when it, in, in terms of like the top 50, or top 30 guys. So it it's just a funny metric, but it's I think it is valuable to look at. But I think. The whole con- the whole way it builds into the payment structure and like if you're a team if you're if you're a major league team and you are trying to pay the guy the least amount possible because supposedly that's in your best interest then you're going to use those you're going to use a high BABIP to your advantage you're going to make that argument that it's not sustainable. Do you would you say you value Vlad Guerrero's three forty four more than you value Nick Castellanos' three sixty one right now because it's like one to one. Well, Castellanos is he's very good. Let's use like Austin Riley right now, who's Babip is three eighty six and he's hitting two ninety nine. So is is Austin Riley a three hundred hitter, or is he just hot right now? That's that's where the argument comes in. So, so Austin I mean, Austin Riley's striking out twenty eight percent of the time. Flat Junior's striking out fifteen percent of the time. Right. So I, I think that's there. There's. I mean, it's abund- it was abundantly clear in the past that if Vlad if Vlad stayed in the zone and did a good job of not swinging at stuff they wanted him to swing at, that he was going to be really good. Like, that was the big, you know, looming question was, could he not swing at stuff they were trying to get him out with? And the only way you start to learn how to do that is through experience, and that's what we talk about all the time. Experience is wisdom in these situations, needing a certain volume of at-bats before you get really – comfortable enough to hit at the big league level and now you're seeing that right like and he probably makes those adjustments quicker than everybody else because the same way he learned swing mechanics very inherently through just hitting he just learned how to hit good through hitting um i'm I'm amazed at how few people i know have that ability and i don't think i was one of those people i think i was for an extended period of time but then i was i listened to the words around me and coaching cues or whatever they may be. And then that kind of goes away. So like the ability to maintain that confidence and, and belief in what you're doing as a hitter. And I know we're kind of going off the rails here, but my point is the reason why Vladdy's a good hitter is because he learned, he's learning how to do all the things he needs to do to hit good. Austin Riley is a young player who obviously swung good for a long time, and the more at-bats he gets and the more confidence he gains in what he's doing, the more he's going to learn to hit good. It, it's crazy to me when I, like, when I see guys, if you hit the minors, you're going to hit the big leagues as long as you don't get in your own way. You just have to figure out what the thing that you need to do that's like separating you. And a lot of times it's mental, it's anxiety, it's, you know, you're dealing with a lot of stuff in your brain. You know, Moncada's a kid who he got a lot of money coming out of Cuba right away. And, you know, whatever his, you know, level of, of, of mental acuity or confidence or 
any of that stuff, I, I think the angst got removed really early on with him. Like I, I would say there wasn't a lot of, there's pressure, but at the same time you could be super relaxed. Like it's do you know, the, if the player perceives the big contract as pressure to perform versus as, Oh man, I get to chill out now. Cause I know I'm getting paid no matter what, like, think about that. The, the same paradigm could affect the two different people in a completely different way. Right. So I think Moncada has been very comfortable in his own skin since he got the big leagues. Like he had some struggles early on striking out a ton and then kind of figured it out. Like the talent was always there. It's now like he's putting it together. You know, at the end of the day, I, I think, yes, there's luck involved. Don't get me wrong. Cause I, I consider myself a good hitter all the time. But if, if you go look at my Babbitt numbers across my career, and I know people don't look like looking at minor league numbers. Cause apparently that's like fake baseball. Um, but I think my batting average on balls in play was always high. I, there, there's never a time where I didn't want it to be because that meant I was getting more hits when I was hitting the ball. Yeah. <laughs> Good hitters hit. Good hitters line out more. We used to talk about that with uh, like Robbins Cano. Like it felt like he lines out all the time because he's a good hitter. Um, when you when you consistently make barrel hit barrels and make hard contact, there's a better chance you're gonna get on base and not make outs. So it's good. Um, also, Mancada, the the phrase of you know like the, the feeling that he belongs, I think, comes with him. Same thing with Vladdy Jr with Bo Bichette, where they just, they're not overwhelmed by the big leagues. They're, the third deck effect doesn't, doesn't affect them. They yeah, just, they, they were, chill. They're just chill good. They're like six. Yeah. There was a, there was a player on my college team, uh, Miguel Magras, that he came in as a freshman and just, just was who he, like, he didn't, didn't pressure himself. He, and he raked, he was like rookie of the year in the conference. He smashed. He's a really good hitter most aloof third baseman I've ever played next to. And he would agree with that if he was on, on this right now, but from an offensive standpoint, like he belonged immediately just, and there's guys that keep, that was in the America East conference at the university of Vermont. And these guys are doing at the big league level where they're just, they don't, there's no reason for them not to be confident because they're that, they're that good. And it's impressive when you can just step into onto that stage and be comfortable and not feel pressure and not feel like, the game's moving fast on you that's i don't i don't know that i don't know how many people like the casual fan does not under i don't think they appreciate or understand what that really means yeah i mean it's tough to describe it right it's 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 really it's tough it's tough man it's it's tough to to help people really appreciate like that moment because there, there's so many different factors that go into it but you know, that's why you have to experience things in life. If not, you can never really, I don't know. You try to convey it the best you can to other people, but depend. And, and again, it just depends on your perspective. If you're Vlad or Bo or Kevin Biggio who grew up in the dugout, like probably not that big a deal. Like to be, to be an outsider that has that capability is what's most impressive. You know, guys like Trout and, and Harper, and I'm sure they had some when they got there, but um you know, when you get there and, and, and you've never been around it, you don't know. Oof. Special dude. And I, that's why I would spend my whole if, – if I had any advice for player development people, I would, I would spend all of the youth developing confidence and, and swag and almost ego, right? But, like, understand, hey, you got to toe that line and stay humble enough to know that, like, the game's going to beat you up. 
but don't ever if I if I was gonna if I had to choose between two players and choose a player that was like really humble or, or like really cocky slash confident, I'd always choose if I was gonna if I had to pick a team, I'm gonna choose the guy that's like overly confident. To the cross that to to yeah. Yeah. Couple choice votes. All right, let's move on. We got a sticky stuff, the weekly sticky stuff segment. Garrett Cole was asked about think using spider tack or one of the something specific and just could not conjure up any sort of an answer he literally couldn't speak it was one of the worst pr things i've ever seen from a major league player uh just i mean he didn't even stumble over words he just didn't say anything he had no answer and when he did finally talk like 20 seconds later it was all about you know the game has a history and Things have been passed down from generation to generation. Um, We've talked about this quite a bit on the pickle. So it was very surprising to me that somebody in the PR department for the Yankees didn't say, hey, Garrett, what are we going to say? Or this is what you should say or anything. Somebody from the Players Association, somebody tell this guy what to say because he's been the lightning rod for most of this stuff. And – like you had to know this question was coming. How does this happen? You're giving organizations way too much credit. You're 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 giving teams way too much credit. I used to do this. And didn't Garrett? Didn't, at some point, didn't Garrett Cole be like, "Somebody's gonna ask me about this." He's got to just say, "Yeah, I use it." I, I feel like he should have been like, "Yep, I use it. Everybody uses it." Now the league's telling us we can't tell us we can't use it, so we're not going to use it anymore. That then, like, okay, great, like. The, the Michael yeah. Scott thing, like <laughs> you got to get ahead of the story. He just made it worse you're, by not saying anything. You're giving, you're giving orgs, PA. I'm telling you, you're giving these people too much credit to say, oh, they're going to go up to Garrett Cole and know that they're going to ask him about this and, and like prepare him to have an answer. The only time teams will ever like preempt you for an interview or prompt you for anything is if it's going to make the team look really bad, right? Like, if there's a chance that it's going to make the team look really bad. In this case, like, that's not making the team look bad. Like, Garrett Cole chose to use, you know, get him some stick him, whatever. Um, the funny thing is, is like you said, to, like, just say yes. Like, I've used sticky stuff on my hand before. Just say yes. Like, I, I don't – I really don't get why people shy away from it. Like, it's so abundantly clear that everybody's doing it. And look, I know you don't want to be the scapegoat or whatever. Cole's contract, like, bro, you're about to get paid for the rest of your life. You've made generational wealth already. Just, like, nobody's taking that away from you. You could use all the sticky stuff you want on your fingers and get all the ejections you want. And you're about to get paid forever, dog. Like, just say yes. Just say yes. That's it. Yeah, I use sticky stuff on my hand all the time. Like, that's what I would have said. I just had a flashback to like Parks and Rec. Treat yourself or just say yes. <laughs> nice. No, but I, 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 I really don't understand. Yes. I really didn't understand the whole the whole position that he took there. I don't know why he's gonna like live this down at some point because this should stay with him for the rest of his career. Just say yes. It's obvious that we all know you use sticky stuff. And I didn't really even understand Donaldson turn around and being like, well, I didn't mean, I wasn't pointing directly at Garrett Cole. 
Uh, like, Did he retract? I didn't see that. No, he said it wasn't directed at Cole. It was meant to be directed at everyone. And I think it was because he probably thought he was going to get drilled the next day because um, they were facing him. Did you see the, the, the tweet about Donaldson where they said he had like rib protection on? And he's like, no, I'm just a dad now. It's just my body. <laughs> like, who would wear rib protection in batting practice? That was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. I, I you know, look. People I trying think- to make a story out of nothing. But that, the, so that, again, that, this is the whole point, right? The, is it right that journalists ask questions that they know they're going to get polarizing answers to, to make something out of nothing is really the, the, the part that gets to me, right? It, is that journalism? Is that, is it I, like I don't know? To, to, like, is it to give fans something to talk about? I, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know. There, you could look at it a million different ways, and I, I would have a hard time as a reporter, you know, asking a question to an athlete that I knew was going to cause, I don't know, dissension, and and not because like it, you know, it was the right thing to do, but because like you can just you can manipulate how like it's going to go. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I, I don't even know if I'm being clear. Yeah. But if you're a journalist, that's like your dream scenario. That's your world series. You're that you, you want that guy in that situation. And that question, that's like, that's their bottom of the ninth, two outs base loaded <laughs> down by three. That's, that's their home run. That's they're trying Scandal, to get, they're trying to get home run? Yeah. They're trying to get page views and clicks and they're trying to win. But isn't isn't true like journalism at its core uh, about just reporting facts and truth? I mean, Newsroom was a good show. Like, no, it's not about that at all. Like, it wasn't. It's all about clicks. It's all about clicks. And I think that was the foundation, right? That was the foundation. Like, Newsroom was saying journalism once started as you know reporting facts and and being a good writer and and being able to deliver thoughts in an eloquent fashion and getting both sides of the story. Now it's just, let me just throw in my opinion. It's an editorial, right? Like everything's an editorial. Yeah. Newsroom was a good show. Highly recommend it, but Great no, show. they they want drama. They want controversy. They want clicks. So do you think that, but do you think that causes more? Because the measuring stick is ratings. It's not. I, right. I, I completely understand because it's commercial, right? Like it's, it's capitalist society. Do we, do we, do they feed into that? Does Twitter, does the Twitter world, does the, because to me, the conversation happens much more outside the clubhouse or outside the game than it does in the game. And then it turns into an in the game thing when they ask the player and the player's like, I don't, I don't know. The three Oh stuff, right. We talked how many times we talk about swinging three Oh. If it didn't get brought up outside, would it get brought up internally ever? I think they're too busy playing their own games to really worry about it. Like when Tatis Jr. did it last year, the game wasn't like completely out of hand. So it was like, all right, he had a homer. Like uh, this guy's trying to get me out. No, I need to focus on that. Yeah. Talk radio shows need to fill air. They need to say words to get through the two-hour show. There's a lot of talking heads in the game, right? A lot of talking heads. Yeah, but it's the whole industry that's been built around the game and around sports in general. Are we talking heads? Kind of. I mean, look – or heads that are talking. No, I was like, listen to the like, uh, was it part of the part of the interruption where it's like literally just like four heads on the screen, um, or like if you watch any like CNN or Fox News or whatever your preferred 
news station is when they, they throw it out to like 10 people and it's just like rows of heads on the screen. <laughs> just yelling at each other. It's great. Yep, yep, yep. Um, all right, next topic. And Chris, I'm very interested to hear your take on this. Uh, kind of what we were talking about with things that are talked about versus are talked about in the clubhouse. So Pete Alonzo did an interview where he was talking about the baseball. Now, Major League Baseball purchased Rawlings a few years ago. Rawlings makes the baseball for Major League Baseball. So basically what Pete was saying is that Major League Baseball is manipulating the baseball based off of the free agency market in upcoming years. So if they need pitching to get knocked down, they're going to juice the ball up so there's more offense. If they need offense to be knocked down, they're going to suppress the ball and subsequently suppress the market by minimizing numbers. What do you think about this? I, this We talked about this here locally uh, with some of the guys next door. And I think this is one of the, the more interesting takes and a very, very big deal, especially with the fact that Major League Baseball owns Rawlings and has the ability to, to pull this off. It's definitely an interesting take to me. I, I First time I'd ever thought of it that way, first time I ever heard it. Um, kudos to him for bringing it up if he believes it to be true or if he has any, you know, validation. I haven't really, it, I haven't really looked into it, but it makes sense. Like, and let's put it this way. I wouldn't put anything past major league baseball or teams in terms of like restricting player performance. Now the hard part is how do you balance it? Right. Like where, where would the line get drawn? And you know, you have to say, okay, we're gonna look at the top, 30 potential free agents going into this off season and say, you know, what percentage of those are pitchers versus what position, what, what percentage are hitters, how many free agents are pitchers, how many, like, like, where's, where's the line of demarcation? Like where, how do you, how do you create that formula? Um, but definitely interesting. I, I, yeah, I mean, I would love to see somebody potentially do some research on it and go more into depth about it because it's 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 one thing to say it it's another thing to be able to prove it right and not that you know not that you could prove it not that you couldn't prove it i don't know like technically major league baseball has only owned rawlings for what like four years now something like that long enough long enough to start because we're talking about like what materials are using to wind you know the wool and the the seam height and you can it, absolutely just, do that. It's interesting that the ball keeps changing, right? Like, and it's become clear, like, oh, the AAA ball changed, and now the big league balls change, and it, why? Like, why? It's been, it's, it's the same game, guys. So just leave it alone. Um, so the ball, the ball has changed a lot throughout the years. I, there was a, I forget this guy's name now. I think it's, it's Riggins. Um, from Friday Night Lights, Sean Riggins. No, he. I think his. He, he had a, a graduate thesis that he did and he went through like the history of baseball and like in like when baseball started pitchers used their own they would bring their own ball to the mound they they made their own ball and they would take it to the mound with them so having a standardized ball is pretty interesting you look at a sport like golf where every player gets to use their own ball based on their swing characteristics football, football teams get to use their own ball i mean they're supposed to technically be but ball. they're deflated it yeah so, yeah, but so golf has the USGA has to approve all of the equipment and all of the everything. There's there's standards that are upheld. Um, 
Major League Baseball just says, hey, here's the ball. Here you go. And if they are changing it from year to year, I think we've talked about in the past about NASCAR, where NASCAR has, you know, different regulators and things that the car can only go so fast or whatever. I don't know too much about that, but like it has a top speed of 206 miles an hour, whatever it is. So in baseball, it's supposed to be the same ball and they keep changing it. Like, shouldn't they tell the players going into the offseason, like, hey, here's the ball we're using? Might be a little different. Maybe the, the seam height is this, the whatever. Like they should everybody should know what the playing field is. And there's a lot of things major league baseball should do, right? For the sake of both the integrity of the game and for the players. Let's clarify the fact that that is out the window. Like that is completely gone. So I'll give you an example that people probably don't think about, that don't consider. I was just talking to a minor league coach before we started the uh, the podcast. And he just told me they now AAA is knocking on the door of the big leagues and teams are talking about how they're, they're, you know, they're worried about player performance and recovery and all this crap, right? They travel the day of the game. If the trip is under six hours or whatever it is, travel in the morning. So you're waking up earlier than normal to get on an eight o'clock bus or nine o'clock bus or whatever it is, get to the stadium, play a night game or like they played a doubleheader and on the first day, and then the next day they had a day game. And then on the following day, Sunday night game coming home. And I was like, what, what? Like zero regard for players, zero. Cause if you have, if you cared about taking care of your assets, you would never do that. You would play a single night game on the first night. You play the double header on the night, the next day, and then you'd play a day game for, the travel so that people could get back at a reasonable hour. There's just no regard for players. The only reason MLB has any regard for players is because they have to, because if not, they wouldn't have a league because that's why the PA was formed. So it's, it's not in Rob Manfred's best interest to sit down and talk with Garrett Cole about what ball they should be using or to find a compromise. Like he's just going to make a decision and that's going to be it. And he's going to make a decision based off what he thinks is the most commercially viable product. Can, can we make the argument that they deadened the ball because people were complaining that the ball was too live and too many homers were being hit? Yeah, absolutely. Can we make it for the fact that there are more hitters that are going to be free agents? Sure. Uh, they did it for some reason. Is it both of them? Probably. I, yeah. Like there was a reason, that, there's a reason the ball is different. There's a reason. It could be multiple. And more often than not, it doesn't have anything to do with what the players want. It has to do with what MLB wanted. So there's no doubt in my mind that either Pete Alonzo's theory is right or it's another one of the things like, oh, there were too many homers. Well, we got to have less homers this year. We want, oh, people want small, more small ball. Let's dead the ball completely. Let's go back to the 1950s ball. There's yeah, there's there's a reason, and it's just I think it's just a if it if it is about tracking it down and trying to really pinpoint the fact that it is a manipulation of the free agency class, that would be a big deal. If it's just like uh, we're hitting too many homers right now, which is there like a committee for that? Like yeah, are they sitting in, in on Madison Avenue at their offices being like, hey, uh, what do you guys think about how many home runs should be allowed to be hit this year? Hearing, they keep hearing that the game's brutal to watch, right? Ratings for last – I think ratings are actually up this year a little bit uh, from what I understand. I, I don't even know what that means. Um, 
if you're Major League Baseball, like you're trying to counteract the good pitching, so you liven the ball up. As soon as you buy Rawlings, you go, oh, homers. And then people are like, well, we hate homers because it's now home run derby or strikeout. And they're like, oh, crap. Like, let's deaden it. We went the wrong way. We can't counteract. So now that's why they're talking about moving the mound back and the pickoff crap. Because, like, they know offense needs to happen, but it's the wrong kind of offense, right? Like, it's there. there is a, you know, a direct correlation between home. Like, homers are now no longer exciting, I guess. Is that true? Or less exciting? They're they're almost expected to an extent. I think they're still exciting, but they're not like uh, I don't know. The be all. Blue Jays yeah. hit it yesterday. Eight in homers a, in one game in an eighteen-four route. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. I, I actually really like this topic. I think both of us have a strong case here. So on Twitter, there was a, a post about how all of these top-tier college coaches love multi-sport athletes. And the insinuation there is, like, you should be a multi-sport athlete, right? Because, you know, if these coaches, if the Tim Corbins of the world want multi-sport athletes, then you should be a multi-sport athlete. So the question is, like, is there any validity to that? Um, Does playing multiple sports actually help you become a better baseball player? And, like – where should you as a player be investing your time and energy and money to becoming a, if, if baseball is your priority sport, like, should you just be focusing on that year round? And uh, I'll start with my kind of story. So in high school, I ran indoor track cause I want to get faster. So I just ran a lot. I, I wasn't fast enough to do the sprint event. So I did like middle distance. I was doing the 600 and the four by four. So like a non sprint, I did the hurdles too, but uh, wasn't literally wasn't fast enough to do the sprints, the, the, the shortest distance. So I did mid distance. And then that time, like, yeah, I got in good shape and I could, uh, you know, state qualifier in the 600 and the four by four Woo! third place in the hurdles in the Woo! state of New Hampshire, uh, qualify for the high jump. Did, did that make me a better baseball player? Could, uh, could I have been spending time in the weight room to actually become faster and learn how to produce more force and actually, be faster or did running track actually help me become faster? Uh, I would argue the mental side of track and field did a lot for me as a baseball player. Cause you just had to like, when you're ran, when you're running against the clock, like that's a different kind of grind and you're kind of all alone and you got to just figure it out. So I know you were uh, walking broomstick in high school. You were not strong. You were fairly lean. Lean is an understatement. Yeah, what was your what was your sporting life? You played golf in high school, right? So up until my sophomore year was my last year of basketball. So I was basketball, baseball, and then uh, started playing golf as a junior. So I only went golf, baseball as a junior and senior. To answer the question, though, like be good at baseball. That's the, so I replied to the tweet and I. Cause it was like, these guys recruit multi-sport athletes. And I wrote dot, 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 who are really, really good at baseball. They, they recruit <laughs> you can be a multi-sport athlete. They recruit really uh, good baseball players. They recruit really good baseball players. So the thing about it is the kids that kids that are good enough to go to schools like that, they're going to be good at every sport because if, they're that much better. If you need to do ice fishing to be good at baseball. Cool, man. Like whatever gets your, like, 
like people making blanket statements about things like some guys can be really good at just training all year round to play baseball. And some guys can be really good because they play football, basketball, hockey, and whatever else. Like the, every athlete, every individual is going to have their own needs. Like what I, what I fear is guys getting burnt out by the game, right? Like players getting, having it turn into a job. If their coaching staffs are, you know, tyrannical and, and, and everything is work, work, work. When you're 12 years old, like you got to have fun. Like you need to have fun from an athletic standpoint. Is it good to differentiate? Sure. Like my, my presumption is basketball allows you to build muscles that baseball can't, uh, football allows you to, to, to build a different kind of adrenaline and muscle than, than basketball or baseball. So like, it's a cross trainer, right? Like, like it's just cross training, like, and it puts you in a position at a young age to build a foundation of athleticism. Does, is one better than the other? I, I don't, I don't know. I know. A lot more guys are getting Tommy John now when they're 16 years old because they're throwing all the time. Like pitchers never threw back in the day. Now guys are also throwing 98, like a lot more. So have we crossed the line? Is there a line? Like if I'm Tim Corbin, do I care if you played multiple sports? No. But if, if I'm going to choose between two equal players, like that I view exactly the same, am I going to choose the multi-sport guy or am I going to choose the all baseball guy? Like, does the multi-sport guy have a little bit more on tap potential? It's a tough question to answer. And I think it's a very personal question to ask a coach. I wouldn't, I don't think I would feel strongly one way or the other. I would look into the soul of the kid before I made that decision. I, I agree with you on the burnout factor. And I think with younger kids, it's a bigger deal. I think once you get into high school, you know, if you're trying to, if you're trying to play in a sport in college at the next level, and your tools are not, if your capacity is not high enough, you need to look at that and be objective about it. And, you know, is doing a long toss program in the fall versus playing football and you're going to be like a linebacker or something <laughs> like that's not going to help you like actually throw the ball harder and do the things you need to do to compete at the, at the sport you are prioritizing in, then you got to make that choice. Uh, it's I, the one thing I, I, I think the multi-sport aspect does is it teaches you how to be a teammate in different capacities. Uh, you brought up like the adrenaline factor of football, like Friday night lights is different. The edge that you get, the, the energy that you feel in those games is going to be different. Running track was different. Playing basketball is different. There's different, different coaching styles, different failure you're going to encounter. So there's value in that because you're, you're going to be a, the likelihood that you'll be more well-rounded as an athlete, as a coachable player, as a teammate, I think there's a lot of value in that. We see a lot of players like at the college level who are just like tools, like just tooled out players that can run, that are super strong, great arm strength. They can't play the game. So prioritizing doesn't mean just get in the weight room and get strong and then learn how to run fast. Cause that doesn't make you, you can showcase better, but you can't pull, you're not a better baseball player. So the, the argument that you might be, uh, you know, more untapped, so you might have some more raw ability that you can enhance. I think if you can, if you're good enough, you're good enough. Um, whether you play multiple sports or not. So you mentioned, you mentioned me, right. I, and I said, I was a fungo. I was very lean when I was a kid. I was very, very thin. Like I, I was hundred, I think I graduated high school at 165 pounds, 166 pounds, something like that. So I was six three by that time and 166 pounds. Like imagine what that looks like. Uh, it, it's not strong. I had no, 
at the same time, like I really don't feel like I, I didn't really hit puberty, so to say, like, until, like, till I, I didn't like, I don't even think I had hair on my legs. So I was a senior in high school. Um, I was 17 years old when I graduated. And then I finally, like, I did, I didn't think I, the first time I shaved was probably like, I don't know, like full shave my face and need to think about doing it was my senior year. Uh, so that like, when does that happen for players? So if I lifted more, would it have been good? Would it have been bad? I, I, I don't know. Like I would lifting at, as a sophomore, I lifted a little bit. I started working out when I was a sophomore, hated it, could not stand it. Like I, I'll never forget this. Uh, I, I, I think I've talked about this before. My teammates tried to get me to, or the football guys tried to get me to, to bench press with them one day. And it was my senior year. And they were like, dude, you can do 135. Come on. Put a plate on each side. The bar, like they, they gave me a lift off and the bar just went straight down and didn't move. Like I had to get a lift off at 135. And you want to talk about feeling embarrassed and like ashamed. And, and like that was the, the, the kind of the boost that I needed to, to push me over the top where I was like, this is bad. I need to go. So maybe if I had taken lifting more seriously my junior year, maybe I get that division one offer a little bit sooner or again, I was still young. So I, I don't, my path, it ended up working out, right. It ended up working out. So I don't, I don't look back and have any regrets. I, I just, you know, I certainly know that there was, there was room that, and no matter what, there's always going to be room for all of us to look back and say, I should have done this different. Uh, you know, you just hope you make the best decisions for you at the time. And, and certainly I think, to me, everything's about balance, dude. So like, I, I like the multi-sport athlete. I really do. I think there's, I, I think it creates tremendous balance and allows you then to, to go on and excel at other things later on, because like trying to keyhole yourself too early, it, 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 I think it creates limitations. And to your point, Bobby, the, the different dynamics and like the different, it just creates different perspective, right? Like playing under the lights or get to run a sprint or playing a golf match, whatever. They just, we, we, we have different challenges. I think that that can really help us, you know, with the ultimate ones. So the mental aspect of like, you go to, you go to play golf, getting, getting a little butterfly on the first tee sometimes, depending on who you're playing with, or maybe you're playing a tough course and you're kind of feeling a little bit, so much value to that. Like walking, walking down 18 with a chance to break 80. That is a huge moment in your athletic career from a mental standpoint, from an emotional standpoint. And that, that lesson can help you in baseball. So there's value there. Yes. Yes. Post-show. Pools. Still got it. He's back. My guy in blue. He looks good in blue. He's hitting homers. He's hitting. Homers that get robbed. That would have been walk-offs. Hitting a couple homers. Uh, numbers are solid. Uh, leg kicking, just yeah. bombs. Guys rejuvenated, man. Like, what's happening in Anaheim that a guy like Pools, he seems energized there, right? It's He seems like he's got a little pep in the step. So I, I think – What is the culture situation? The Angels have been terrible for a while. Like, they have the best player in baseball, and they've been just awful. They have – they had Trout, Pools, Shohei, and Rendon is just – He's there, but he's not. He's in like two thirty-eight, I think. Yeah, they haven't. What's happening they, there? They haven't pitched in a long time, right? They haven't really pitched since. I mean, gosh, I remember we played against them in fifteen, and Molly walked them 
like I think we took six out of seven or, or five out of six that we played against them, two at home and, and swept them on the road. Uh, it just hasn't been good. And I, I think if you're an older player who's on a deal and your team's not going to be good or you're like, if you're the guy that has to bring the team's attitude to the field every day, it, it becomes overwhelming. It's daunting, right? Like I, the only comparison that I can make to this was uh, in 2007, and uh, it was the year I got traded. It was it was a year last year in, in, in independent ball. Um, and I'll never forget, like, I felt like I was the person that had to try to bring the energy every day. Because if I didn't, nobody else was going to. And we were bad. And I wore it. Like, I wore it. I took it in the chin. And I remember when I got traded, I was really upset, devastated. And Rich said to me, Gedman, that is, he said to me, this is an opportunity for you to just go play. To just go play. Cause the culture and the chemistry exists already. Just go play. And I was scared of it at first. And then it was awesome. I played way better. And it was crazy because like when, when you're surrounded by good energy, it brings good energy out of you. Uh, and not to say that it was bad in Anaheim. I, I think Joe is a great manager. Um, I, you know, maybe it's going to take him a couple of years there to flip the script a little bit, but I, I Albert Pujols didn't forget how to hit. Let's put it that way. And his age is irrelevant. Like I, people that want to keep making the argument that hitters are that are old can't hit are full of crap because hitting is hitting. Like the the, the more advanced you get mentally, like you, there's not there's nothing Albert Pujols needs to do like physically that he can't do. The same way Tom Brady plays quarterback at that age, right? Like, it's not about bat speed. Yeah, maybe if you lose your vision a little bit, you're screwed or, you know, you run really slow. Like, but the same things happen to Cabrera in Detroit. Like, what is there to play for? Like, what what is there for Miguel Cabrera to play for, right? And I think that's probably the way Pujols was looking at it. Now he's in Dodger Blue, man. Great energy at the stadium every night. They're trying to win every night. Got guys like Turner and Mookie and Andy Burns. Andy Burns. Pitched in his Dodger debut, by the way. And he's a hitter. Got his first knock and his first strikeout in the first. In, in he struck somebody out. Yeah, struck out a pitcher. Take it. Who was told not to swing? An American League reliever who was told not to swing in a twelve-one game. After he gave up, he gave up his first bomb too. Just filling up the box score. Love it. Anyway, uh, cool. yes, we cool, still got it. Suns in four, big fight, viral fight. So. Ferber sent this to us. We got a little private little DM session with Ferbs on Instagram. I feel like the guy on the up on the top, usually the lower guy is at a major disadvantage unless the guy on the top just turtles and tries to eat uppercuts without even like, he kind of got him like with a hockey move, pulling the Jersey over the top. But I mean, what a terrible performance from the, from the, the upper position. Got to, got to be better. Are you talking about the fight that happened in the stands at yeah. Sun Nuggets? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jokic tried to start one on the court. Yeah, but we're they were on even that that's even playing field. We're talking stadium fights. If you're if you're gonna get in a fight at a stadium, have the upper ground. And if you have the upper ground, don't duck and let the guy pull your jersey over your head. I think you have a way better foundation from the lower stand, the lower section, because to reach down to punch. Like you could lose your balance and you're tipping over, right? Mm, traditionally, upper upper guy has a much bigger advantage. 
I don't know. That guy got when he got him by the jersey, it was over. That guy was catching some uppercuts, and he was like talk. He was like talking to some. Yeah, he, he was punching him. He was like punching him, and he's like <laughs> sons and four, and then it was sons and four. So that was funny. UFC has its first Mexican-born champion. That's nice. A guy snapped his arm, and the ref didn't start the fight. Stop the fight yeah. right away. I didn't watch that. I don't want to watch. I had enough bone snapping experience. No, what he didn't break it. It was just dislocated. Dana White came onto the presser after he's like, "You're not gonna believe this. It's just a dislocation." Dislocated from what? He was in an armbar or a triangle or whatever it was. I, I, I didn't really see the movie. out of his shoulder or out of his elbow. No elbow, dislocated elbow. That's it was like dangling. But the guy Dana, didn't. Fight. He didn't stop the fight right away. The ref. Uh, he was trying to. He was still punching the ref. The, the, the ref. Yeah, there was a lot of bad to it. I mean, he kept he kept trying to punch the guy. And then Moreno beat Figueroa. Kind of cool to dislocate your elbow. Nate Diaz, Nate Diaz, in very Nate Diaz fashion, had blood running all over him, and then hit Edwards and um and got him wobbly. And then he just laughed at him instead of going after him. He's like, oh, he, he should have gone harder in the paint. He might have won it after being after losing five straight rounds. He could have essentially beat him there. So he punched him and he just he he wobbled him, but didn't. He just Nate Diaz. Then that's why people love Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz smoked a blunt. In his press conference after. That's Nate Diaz. Where was the fight? Vegas? No, Arizona. Good job, Nate. Yeah. Uh, college baseball. We're going straight post show here. College baseball. Did we see, did you see the NC State, Arkansas, Arkansas? Yeah. So North Carolina State, NC State lost game one 21 to two. Yep. Which is fairly embarrassing. And then came back and won 6-5, 3-2 to punch her ticket. NCAA is going real heavy on punching tickets. Uh, they got the they got the signs are coming out, and they just keep saying punching tickets. Tickets punched, leaning into it Also hard. a strikeout. But they're just they're really aggressive with, with tickets and punching right now, punching tickets, ticket punching. Is that big, going somewhere? It's a big branding thing they're doing. It's just annoying. Um Pretty crazy though. The the cops kid for Arkansas closer all year comes out, throws like 115 pitches, eight innings, eight plus innings. Um, pretty gutsy effort. NC State just rolling out lefties, throwing 96, like it's going out of style. Like every arm of the pen is 96 plus. Lefty, lefty, lefty. So that's pretty good. The last kid they threw, did you watch him throw? He had like a weird, like his left leg was going like hard internal. And then he brought his arm up. It was pretty funky looking. Like we got the last three out. Did he be in the big leagues though? I feel like he should be in the big leagues. Yeah, probably yesterday. All um, I know is that shortstop kid, good homer. Probably yeah. threw one too many sliders though. Yeah. Uh, where'd that ball land, by the way? There, all the people. They all just, the I think it hit somebody in the head because they want. They didn't want to acknowledge the fact that it was actually a home run. Everybody or, just stood there. Usually, you can like see the arms like reaching. I I don't know where the ball went. So it was good. Big one today. And the Mississippi State. Yeah, we got a couple games at Dallas Baptist, Virginia. Big one today. And the Mississippi State. Why is that one big? I don't know, because Trezor predicted the Irish to go to win the World Series. To win the World Series? Yeah. Are they that good? They're they're really they put a lot, a lot of pressure on other teams. And yeah, they can hit. They can hit. Yeah. They and they have one green uniform, all green. With gold. Pants, pants, shirts. Gold helmet. Yep. I like it. 
Uh, are there any other games today? Arizona punched their ticket. There's been six tickets punched. Stanford's in, Vanderbilt's in, Arizona's in. Stanford, did you see the and quote from the Stanford pitcher? No. They played Texas Tech. It was like 109 degrees. The pitcher, the starting pitcher for Stanford said, we're wearing black because it's Texas Tech's funeral. Whoops. Love it. And then he went out and beat him. He won wrong. He threw a shutout. So talk about like mentality and setting a tone. I love that. Big fan of that. Huge fan because the the, the Texas Tech staff was all chirping about, hey, it's going to be loud here. They better be ready. And they just went and swept him. <laughs> they just showed up and beat him Four twice. Months. Just showed up and beat They're him. really good. They're coming, making a comeback. So they're relevant. Yep. College. Uh, South Florida's run ran out against Texas. The Battle of the Horns. It was the Bulls versus the Longhorns. Uh, Texas, I feel like we got to see, we didn't even see them play because well, Fairfield was in the, the bracket, but I feel like they've had maybe the easiest, smoothest path so far. Smoothest. Yeah, they haven't lost. Which part of that's probably just they're good. Yeah. Like they're well, just good. I mean, they ended up, I mean, not to say that Fairfield's bad, but they're Fairfield. Like, you know, they're a Northeast school. Uh, they, they had to beat Arizona State in the, in the, you know, I would say Arizona State and Fairfield were pretty evenly matched teams. Uh, Texas a notch above. And then, you yeah. know, USF had snuck out as the four seed in that Gainesville regional. Um, not to say that they were bad, but, you know, I watched them. They were outclassed. They were outclassed for sure. Yeah. I mean, center yeah. fielder from Texas, St. John's transfer, fifth year. Yep. Curtis to Jerry Weinstein. Weinstein? Weinstein. I think they both play. You'd have to ask Jerry. Yeah. Good I would talk. say Stein. Weinstein. Weinstein. I don't know. We should ask him. All right. Let's have we him on. Get, we should get him on. Yeah. I got guess. I'm gonna line up. I'm gonna tee up some guests for us. I'm doing it. I'm gonna get uh Coach Courier. Nice. I'm gonna give him an extra week. But I wanna get Coach Courier on here. Hey, until then. 